Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Friends, I'm going to read to you from the book of Matthew chapter 28 beginning at the 16th verse. Hear the word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just so far in the reading of God's word. This evening we're going to consider briefly what is the mission of the church? Give that some thought in your own heart, in your own mind right now. What is the mission of the church? Some people might tell you that the mission of the church is to do good around us in the city in which we are placed. Um, Maybe the mission of the church is to go into rural areas and do good there, Uh, dig wells and take care of basic needs. Some people would say that the mission of the church is to take care of the people at home base, make sure that everyone is happy and comfortable and taken care of. In the passage in front of us this evening, we will see what Jesus says the mission of his church is. In fact, as we discover in this passage, we will hear that Jesus is powerful, that Jesus has a purpose for his church, and that Jesus has a promise to his church that we would do well to cling on to. Beginning in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. He has a That's a little bit of information, a little bit of Bible knowledge. There are four Gospels. You know that, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels all tell the same story of Jesus Christ, but each has a slightly different emphasis. And so they all have slightly different beginnings, slightly different middles, and slightly different conclusions. The four Gospels end in different places. The first gospel ending that we have is from the book of Mark. The book of Mark actually ends in chapter uh, 16, right at the beginning, at the tomb of Jesus Christ on Resurrection Sunday. It is an abrupt ending. It's the kind of ending which, which happens so suddenly it leaves the reader with all kinds of questions. The second gospel ending is found in the book of John. 
John tells the story of the disciples. After they have met with Jesus Christ, uh, they are heading towards Galilee. And in order to get to Galilee from Jerusalem, where they first saw Christ, you have to go via the Sea of Tiberias. And as they're going through the Sea of Tiberias, they get onto boats and they push away from shore. And Jesus Christ presents himself to them on the shore, telling them to cast their nets on the other side. You might remember that Jesus then makes a a fish breakfast and invites them to come and eat with them, and he restores Peter in the final chapter of John. The third gospel ending is the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew ends as the disciples continue their journey to Galilee to meet with Jesus there. It's only Luke that ends with the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven and then has his blockbuster sequel, the book of Acts, which tells the rest of that story. But in Matthew's gospel, we've got Jesus Christ appearing to his disciples, many, many, many of his disciples in Galilee on a mountain. That's what we read about in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped. Now, you would expect the disciples to worship, right? Because at this stage of the game, they know that they know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They know that Jesus is the Messiah. You would expect them who have seen Jesus calm waves, who have seen Jesus feed 5,000, who have seen Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave, you would expect them to worship him. But there's a curious addition in verse 17. It says, but when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And you go, well, how does that work? How does it work that the disciples see Jesus Christ, and yet some of them doubt? The reason for this, I think, is given by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is speaking about the gospel. He says these words in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first import what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, listen carefully. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I believe what Paul is speaking about here is the end of the book of Matthew, when up to 500 people at one time saw Jesus Christ on this hill, on this mountain in Galilee. Jesus appears to them. The the disciples, the 12, that know that he is the Son of God, worship him. In fact, many of the disciples that are there of that 500 would have worshipped him and accepted him as the Messiah, the Jewish Redeemer that was promised to Israel. But there are some that are there on that hill. Matthew very honestly tells us who doubt. Well, the passage goes on. And the passage goes on with Matthew's key point in the whole of the book of Matthew. 
Matthew writes his gospel account that you might know that Jesus Christ is king. If you had to turn, you don't need to turn there right now, to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, you will discover that Matthew starts his gospel account by connecting Jesus Christ to his paternal grandfather, his legal, um, his legal heir, uh, uh, David, King David. If you think of the Christmas story and think of Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, you would read there that when the Magi, when those wise men, three or more, or an undisclosed amount, when they came to visit Jesus, they asked the question of Herod, where is the king of the Jews? When Jesus died, I was looking in the passage just before I got up to preach. When Jesus died, when he was crucified, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. I'm sure you know well that when Jesus was crucified, a, a plaque was put above his head which read, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Matthew wants you to know that you know that Jesus Christ is king. And in the next few verses, Matthew is going to talk about the power of the king, the purpose of the king, and the presence of the king. Firstly, the power of the king, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the power of the king. Friends, when you think of Jesus, especially over this Christmas time, don't consign him to a stable, to a cradle as a babe in Bethlehem. Yes, it's true that Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was born as a child in Bethlehem. But friends, that child in the cradle is none other than the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the darling of heaven. And one day every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings. I can show you that in so many places in Scripture. Later on this evening, you'd do well to go to the book of Revelation and read chapter 4, 5, and 6, and then flip to the end of the book of Revelation, where we read of the return of the king. Jesus Christ is king, and he has all power. He has been given the keys to the universe. He is in charge of everything, the sustainer of all things, every atom and molecule that has ever existed. Jesus is in absolute control of all, and he is king, and he has power, and he says it to his disciples. And the reason why he says it is he is about to give them his marching orders. The king is about to tell his church how he wants them to act in this world, the mission which he has assigned to them. And we read of this mission in verse 19, the purpose of the king, the purpose of the king. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Just so far, the purpose of the king. 
If you had to look at verse 19 and verse 20 yourself in your own Bible right now, and you had to read through that, and you had to think about what is the, the main thing that Jesus is telling his disciples to do? What is the main thing that he wants them who is worshiping him, him who has just said, I am all-powerful, and I'm about to give you instruction. What is the main thing that he would have them do? The main thing that he would have his church throughout all the ages do. The main thing that he would have us as Central Baptist Church cast our attention and our efforts and our energies to. There's a couple of options here. There's that word go. Maybe Jesus wants us to go. There's that word baptize. Maybe Jesus wants us, a good Baptist church, to spend a lot of time and effort and energy baptizing. There's that word teaching. Maybe Jesus wants us to cast ourselves primarily upon the pulpit and a teaching ministry. Now, I don't want to minimize those three things. I don't want to minimize going. I don't want to minimize in any way baptizing. baptizing. (laughs) I don't want to minimize teaching. But the main verb in this passage, the main thing that Jesus wants his church to do, the main purpose for which we exist in this church age is to make disciples. That's the main verb in the sentence. The other three verbs, the other three things that we are to do, the going, the baptizing, and the teaching, are all what we call present participles. They support the main thing. And the main thing is make disciples. Friends, we are to be a disciple-making church. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do all kinds of other things in our community and for our community. But primarily, when we speak of the purpose which God has set us aside to, we think of making disciples. What is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a learner. It's true to say that. It's a person who spends time understanding what their teacher or rabbi has to say, understanding it in its intricate detail so that you can live it out in your lives. But a disciple is more than just a learner. A disciple is a follower. Jesus said to his disciples, if any man wishes to be my disciple, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Friends, if we are to make disciples, we are to be disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ, not disciples of Charles or Jabu or Isaac or Mark, not disciples of the elders of this church. Whilst we are glad that we have skilled teachers who can help us to understand God's word and can even say to us, follow me. Our expectation of every single one of those people is they say, follow me as I follow Christ. Because ultimately, we are to be Christ followers. That is the main purpose which Jesus Christ has set us aside to. He says that we are to go about this disciple-making process in three ways. We are to go about disciple-making by being goers, by being baptizers, and by being teachers of his word. Let's take the first one, goers. What does that mean to go? Well, it 
doesn't mean that all of you, after tonight's service, must head home and pack your bags and book your tickets for Outer Mongolia. I don't even know if Outer Mongolia is actually a country, so don't book any tickets for Outer Mongolia. Tasmania, um, Venezuela, or Japan. (laughs) That's not necessarily what going might mean in application to you. What it means is that us as a church, Central Baptist Church Pretoria, as we go about the process of making disciples, we must ever be looking up at the world around us. At our Jerusalem, we need to go to it. At our Judea and Samaria, we need to go to that. And at the ends of the earth, we need to think about how the gospel message can be proclaimed even through us as a vehicle to distant lands that have never heard of Jesus Christ before. Now, our Jerusalem is right around us. It is Sunnyside and Arcadia and it is the Muert and it is Pretoria East and it is Centurion. It is the capital city that Jesus Christ has placed us as a church in. We are to go to our surrounds, to our Jerusalem, and proclaim the gospel message from the highest towers that men and women might hear it. And that takes everyone in the church to do. A gospel proclamation as a task doesn't just belong to the people who preach from this pulpit. It belongs to us as a church. Each one of us gets involved in supporting the ministry here at Central. And we do that by offering our time, offering our talents, offering our treasure, offering our testimony in ways that the world can see. Friends, each of us are involved in going to Jerusalem. We either make it possible or we go ourselves. Let me give you an example. I was preaching through the book of Acts a few years ago. Um, A friend of mine, Craig Daidu, came to me after uh, we were kind of in chapter 8 or 9. He came to me and he said, listen here, Mark, I'm reading reading the book of Acts. I've read a little bit ahead and I've read behind and I've read through it a couple of times. And I'm really troubled. I see in the book of Acts that um, the preaching was happening in the marketplace and it was happening on the, the, the street corners. But we're not doing that as a church. I said, you know what, Craig, you're right. We're not. And, and Craig, I think we should. So he said, well, how are we going to get started? I said, well, Craig, how about um, next lunchtime, uh, Monday morning, I drive to your building where you work uh, and you come down and meet me at lunch down at the bottom. We'll walk across the road to the, to the kind of square opposite FMB Towers and, and I will hand out tracts to people and you preach the gospel. Well, Craig was a bit nervous, but he wasn't fearful. And so that Monday, that's exactly what we did. Um, I took the bus, actually, um, to get to uh, the Standard Bank, FNB, that area in Johannesburg. And I met Craig uh, downstairs outside of his office building. He worked for FNB. And we walked across the road into that square that's uh, next to the library in the middle of town. And we handed out a couple of tracts. We actually just printed out Romans chapter 1. Um, and uh, I handed it to everyone, and we gathered some people. And Craig stood and he preached his first open-air sermon. Now, that must have been about six or seven years ago. 
Craig still continuously, at least twice a week, walks down. He works right at the very top of F&B, takes an elevator down to the bottom, walks across to the Agora, to the market square, and goes and preaches there because he was convicted from the book of Acts that we believers need to be taking the gospel message out. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily what you must do, unless God is convicting you to do it tomorrow. I'll come and help you get started. But I am saying that we, as custodians of the gospel, need to take the gospel message to our friends and our family. We need to be a church of goers, a church that enables others to go and proclaim the gospel message, and a church which goes ourselves to God's praise and to his glory. Now, I said that the main purpose that Jesus gives us in this text is to make disciples. And we're to do that in three ways. The first way is by going and proclaiming the gospel message that Jesus died and that he rose and that all men must repent for the forgiveness of their sins. The second uh, way that we go about making disciples is by baptizing. And you'll notice that it's baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this idea of baptizing is taken up in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, in chapter 2, we see on the day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit descends, as Peter stands up from amongst the congregation, as he declares the gospel message that Christ died and that he rose, as he calls the Jews in Jerusalem to repent for the forgiveness of sins, we read in verse 41 that on that day, 3,000 believed, were baptized, and were added to the church. You see, friends, when we go into the world, we don't just go to dig wells in Africa. We go to proclaim the gospel message with the intention that people will believe and will be baptized and will be added to the church. In Matthew chapter 28, we see this this idea of going into the world and making disciples and then baptizing people. And it's a Trinitarian verse in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're to make disciples. That's the purpose of the king. And the king's purpose is fulfilled in three ways. One, by going. One, by baptizing. And thirdly, by teaching. It says, and teaching them to observe all which I have commanded you. Jesus commanded a whole lot in Scripture. Uh, He commanded us to do all kinds of things, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love even your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus' commands are clearly laid out for us in his word, in both the Old and the New Testament. In fact, we are given this word, which is faithful and true, and God-breathed that we might be equipped Equipped to every good work. Friends, the purpose of the church, as we go out and evangelize the nations, as we baptize people and they are assimilated into the church, is to teach people that they might become mature in the things of God. That we might understand God's word and live God's word out in our lives. Jesus is king. And our king has given us a purpose, and that purpose is to make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. Lastly, there's a promise. The king has given us a promise. 
Our text says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That word, behold, is the same kind of word which you have at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. It's a word which is intended to arrest the listener. It's a word which is intended to act as a signboard. It's a word which is intended to underline whatever comes next. Friends, as we go into this world, as we baptize the nations, as we are involved in teaching all that Jesus Christ has commanded us, our strength might fail us. We, we might think, yes, Jesus has power, all authority on heaven and earth, but he has now ascended into heaven, and we are left with this great commission, this, this great task of making disciples. How on earth could we possibly do it? David and Hannah and Amy and Ndu, how could we do it? We are weak and feeble by nature. How will this great job this great commission of our king get done. Jesus says, behold, watch out for what is coming next. I am with you. I'm with you always. I'm with you as you make difficult decisions as a church regarding missions. I'm with you as you make decisions as a church regarding teachers and preachers, as you make decisions as a church regarding ministries. I, Jesus Christ, am with you always to the end of the age. Our King has power, and our King has purpose, and our King has made a promise. His work will be done in his power, and he will use us to get it done. What a glorious honor and privilege we have to join in the work of King Jesus in this life. Well, friends, the application this evening I'm hoping is self-evident. We who are listening in are listening into the words of the king. If you are sitting here this evening, and you have not yet placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, let me remind you why this is imperative. Your sin has separated you relationally from God, and the wages of your sin is death. Friend, Jesus came into this world, that, that babe in Bethlehem, the king was born, God with us, to live a perfect life and then to die a substitutionary death, a death in the place of others, the righteous for the unrighteous that you may live. He rose from the grave to demonstrate that God accepted the payment. And now the call on your life is a call which has been issued by the high king of heaven. Repent. Repent of your sin. Repent of your love for this world. Repent of darkness. And turn and put your faith and your trust in him that you might live. 
King Jesus stands with open arms and bids you come. Heaven's gates are open wide and you will be accepted. Run, don't delay. Cross the line that God might be glorified in your life and Jesus Christ may save you this day. For those of you who are believers, I remind you that this is a commission which has been given to all of the church. This is not a commission which has been given to Charles. This is not a commission which has been given to me or to Isaac or to Jabu. This is not a commission I'm looking for elders at the moment and my eyes are failing me. I see Quinton at the back. It's not a commission which has been given to our elders or to our deacons or even to our Bible study leaders. This is a commission that we as members of Central Baptist Church own because Jesus our King has commissioned us to do it. And so as you read these words, figure out how you can get involved in Jesus Christ's commission to his church. How you can get involved in going. How you can get involved in assimilating people into our church. How you can get involved in teaching. Teaching doesn't just belong to the preacher on a Sunday. Teaching belongs to all of us as we hold one another accountable. As mothers teach children, as fathers are over households. Friends, how will you get involved in the great commission to God's praise and to his glory? Our king has all power. Our king has given us a purpose. Our king has given us a promise. May we be faithful to his commission. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, I do thank you for your word. It is faithful and true. And Lord God, it does. It it convicts us. It guides us. It enthuses us and encourages us. This evening, Lord God, I pray that you take your word and you use it to your own ends and according to your own glory. For your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.